When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. And here we are. It is Monday evening. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. Premier League football has been suspended. Serie A football has been suspended. Paul Pogba has been suspended. But we are still going. We're still here. As always, my name is Rory. I'm joined by my very good friend and a very special guest. First, we have Adam and our special guest, Luca from @GeorgianFootsy on Twitter. Beautiful, Luca from @GeorgianFootsy on Twitter. Thank you for coming on the show, Luca. You are calling from Tbilisi, is that correct? Tbilisi, yeah. Very nice. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. Now, me and Adam have been talking for a while um, whilst covering Serie A. We've been talking a little bit about Georgian football. Obviously, super excited about Quara Quaraschelia. I hope I I hope I got that right. Um, and how he's been tearing up Serie A. Um, how excited have you been about Georgian football? Um, it seems an exciting time to be following it. Yeah, definitely. Because for the last, say, one and a half, two years, we've somehow managed to put somewhat decent team together. And um, despite the result against Spain and basically the whole qualifiers haven't been all that great for us. But again, coming from like a smaller nation, you have to build and need a few more um, campaigns to build like a proper, proper team to compete and qualify directly. But uh, apart from that, it's, it's been a probably inside the last couple of decades, it has been the most positive little stint uh being a Georgian supporter of the Georgian national team because um, there were some highs and lows and we've, despite losing to Spain 7-1, we've, we've seen worse, not by result, but I mean by performances and by the streak of performances. So, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's been a positive last few years and um, hopefully we'll be as positive as it was last summer when we beat every single team we faced and uh, maybe uh, come the um, Nations League playoffs in March would be ones that will celebrate victories and finally qualify for a big tournament in this case the euros nice because i think most people i don't know about you adam but most yeah. people when they thought of georgian football the first name that came to mind was like kaka Kaladze yeah. when he played for milan in the 2000s right yeah. um but luca is, is there has there been like a, a lot of investment has there been a process that the georgian fa of that's kind of led them to this team and this progress now, or has it just been kind of a surprise to people? Um, to be fair, like uh, the investment has directly come before the FA basically tried to put a bit of money 
And by that, I mean the uh, Dinam Tbilisi was like the most historic team in Georgia um, tried to set up an academy in Tbilisi. And it was a, it is still a successful project because if there's any single, any team that sells players in Georgia, it's Dinam Tbilisi because they're able to a, get local talent, uh, train them. They've got like decent facilities, um, not only in Tbilisi around like a few regions as well, but mainly in Tbilisi. Um, and well, Karatskhele is one of them, uh, one of the players who's been through that academy and probably like, uh, I saw the statistics, like 65% of the national team players have come from the Dinamo Tbilisi Academy. So you have to say um, that has been a, a successful project for the nation more than just the club. Obviously, benefiting from financially is is great, but uh, having players who now play as starters, having players who are contributing contributing to the national team, and uh, more so again results um, is definitely a positive. And yeah, I guess that's probably one of the main reasons why there has been a little uh, jump in uh, trajectory and successful wise, and loads and loads of new players. Um, even if you look at the team, it's like a relatively younger side than what was five years ago, ten years ago, because guys like 19, 20, 21, 22 are getting chances to play. And it's, yeah, it takes a lot of trial and error, I guess, but still it has been a positive uh, thing for us rather than a negative thing. And um, hopefully, again, as, as I said previously, will guide us to a uh, much bigger success and maybe we'll just qualify mm. for a big tournament. Luca, I was just keen to understand about Kfarat and how much of a kind of talisman he's become for you. Because I think if you looked at our podcast a year ago, we were struggling to pronounce his name. Yeah. We didn't know what to expect from the guy, but we heard these whispers of this is really talented guy. I mean, I think everyone was taken aback by how well he progressed at Napoli, given that was his first season and how much trust Spalletti put into him as well. Um do you feel like he's become more than just a player now for Georgian football or is there more to come out of him? Because, you know, I I can kind of resonate with Lewandowski and how much yeah. he's become more of a focal point for Poland. But, um, yeah, do you have those kind of same feelings with uh, Kvarat Skelia? Yeah, definitely. Um, just to start with, kind of, um, obviously, as coming from like a relatively smaller country, um, putting your name out in the big stage of football is, is something huge. And as um, we mentioned before, Kalaz is one of the guys who was in the mix of like that top tier football um, back in the day, like the early 2000s. And with Quara, um him uh, just coming out of nowhere, to most supporters in, in Europe and, mm-hmm. and around the world, um, because we knew what he was capable of here. Um, it was obviously something that we took a lot of pride in. And... Um, as I said, like a smaller nation needs that little sparks of brilliance to just feel more confident, feel more positive about themselves. And um, yeah, up until I'd say the last game against Spain, um, every single person around Georgia, doesn't matter if it's a woman or, or a man, like five-year-old or like 75-year-old, every single one of us are tr- waiting for that Saturday slash Sunday to come and uh, to watch Napoli games or not only Napoli games. That's the thing, because um, as I said before, um, if you're a smaller nation, every single spark of basically gives you a hope that, oh, maybe one day I'll become that. Maybe one day I could myself be mm. that next Quartzhelly and loads and loads of kids um, start to play football. Not only because of Quartzhelly, like we've got goalkeeping, uh, Valencia, Mamadashvili, who's, 
again, like signed for Valencia as a fourth choice goalkeeper two years ago, and now he's a mm-hmm. starter and been linked with a move to Bayern to Real Madrid this summer. So that's um, that has inspired a lot of people. Um, and maybe in two, three, four years' time away from now, we'll see loads and loads of new kids who were just dreaming about making it pro, actually playing it pro in like top five leagues in, in, in Europe. And yeah, to, to kind of answer your question shortly, yes. <laughs> he, yes. He did <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also wanted to ask, because you said that most of the players came from Dinamo Tbilisi, right? They're like the main um, producers yeah. of this talent. Do you think, do you expect this to also have an effect on the Georgian league and improve the standard beyond um, the Dinamo Tbilisi? Or do you think it will still just be that kind of one factory? Um, it's say, uh, how to put this? We're blessed to have an academy this good, but mm-hmm. if you think about it more kind of globally, uh, the kids who are representing the academy are dominant in every single age category. So yes, it's it's nice to have a great group of guys, even at like under 12, under 13 year olds, but no, they, they go, go out every single week and play teams and win like 7-0, 8-0, 9-0. That doesn't really build that competitive nature in most of them. And whenever we face teams from, I'd say it's like the qualifiers, uh, uh, like Conference League or the Champions League, and whenever we face a tougher position, those kind of guys never fail to recover from the losses because their whole life has been like, oh, we're, we're going to dominate. Which is like knowing that you're going to dominate someone, it's not bad, but it's not always the reality, if you know what I mean. And um, mm-hmm. that, that little thing is, that that's not a little thing, definitely, but that thing... Uh, with uh, it basically being a monopoly on the local market, it's it's not the greatest thing in the world, if you ask me. But um, in terms of like player quality around the league, it, it hasn't really improved all that much because guys are like I said, 18, 19, when they leave the academy, assigned for teams like this, this summer we had uh, two guys living in the academy. One of them was eight, both of them were eighteen. Um, one went to Bayern, and one went to Basel uh, without them basically playing a full season with the team, which if you think about it, obviously, if, if there's a young player, if there's a good offer, and if, if it's a team that will develop that player, why not? But the reality is kind of different because you have to turn pro and then make that move to a better side, either in Germany, France, it doesn't really matter the league, but to a better side. So yeah, it's, it's a hit and miss, if you ask me, but um, as far as I'm concerned, the... Um, some other sides are trying to set up as not as good, but somewhere near good um, academy uh, academies, and hopefully that will turn out to be well, and we'll have loads of teams having studded, um, yeah, <laughs> youth squads, and that will obviously uh, pay off quite massively in five or ten years' time away from now. Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, how is Willy Sagnol being perceived at the moment, given? How you've been playing? Because I felt when I had a look at this Spain game, Georgia felt like they were paying too much respect to the Spanish side, although they were technically really good, the Spanish side, and they were doing that tiki-taka style of football yeah. around you at times, which is very hard for anyone to, um, you know, Beat try you. and counteract that, right? But, um, yeah, given you had that loss against Scotland as well, um, Norway haven't been firing just yet, but you you get that feeling that they're yeah. just warming up right now. I mean, yeah, how is Sanyol settling into the role at the moment? Um, how to put this? He, his start wasn't the greatest. Um, mm-hmm. The first year wasn't the greatest when he came in because A, he had obviously need time to adjust because it's not easy to 
sign for a for a team for a national team, and you can't yeah. really like, get players. You can't transfer players in, so you have to work with whatever that team has. Exactly. Um, and it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, no. And after a somewhat weird change of formation, because we typically used to play this four two or three one, he switched it up to uh, five two three. Uh, which was more defensive, but if you look at it, it's like a hybrid formation because you've got more players to attack with and more players mm-hmm. to, to defend with in certain scenarios. And that worked quite nicely because we had like the longest unbeaten run in our history, which was 11 matches in a row last year. Um, and um, yeah, that little one and a half year uh, stint was decent. But again, as I said before, like the qualifiers this, this year haven't really been all that convincing because... Um, you, you could think like there's always a limit to what your can, team can do. That's that's for sure. But we haven't been the luckiest of sides to have been drawn with group with Spain, Scotland, Norway, and even Cyprus, who were from pot five. But you'd have to say they're probably one of the toughest teams you could have got. You could have gotten from the pot five. Um, yeah. Th- I don't want to put it obviously on, on luck, but um, as a whole, it's this year. It hasn't really been all that positive, and uh, I do believe that he should finish off the playoffs. It doesn't really matter what we mm. do against Norway tomorrow or the next games uh, in October and November. He should obviously finish off the playoffs because it doesn't matter if it's you know Pep Guardiola coming in next month. Um, he, he will obviously need time to uh, adjust yeah. himself to the team, and um, it wouldn't be the wisest of uh, things to to sack him now. But yeah, if if and when touch wood, <laughs> we qualify, um, then it will be the time for for us to say goodbye to him, and we'll see who who okay. will be next one. Yeah. If I turn that game into a positive, just quickly, Mikatatsu, he's a player that I mentioned on our last pod, Rory. Um, obviously mm. transferred to Ajax. Yeah. Um, what's what's kind of the feeling with him? Because obviously. Seems young, seems like he's uh, spent time in Mets in France as yeah. well. So seems like he's got the groundings of potentially a good player as well, right? Yeah, um, that's also one of the good things about recent years. Uh, the, um, he was born in France, he was born in Lyon. Um, and there were a few guys who are born in Georgia, like diaspora Georgians. Mm. And it, it's obviously a positive, I think, because... Um, Having like from from years away from now, obviously we'll have more and more players that have been raised in other countries. We've got like a few guys from Portugal, from France as well, from Germany who uh, were born there and represent Georgian under seventeens and nineteens. And um, being able to work with uh, coaches and in the in the facilities outside Georgia, um, it's 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 definitely a positive. And um, with Mikhail Tadz as well, he's got that like I've never seen that quality in terms of the movement, in terms of the shooting, in terms of just opening himself up and decision-making from a Georgian player since, I guess, Shota Valadze, who was used to play for Rangers and Ajax. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's it's a, it's it's around like a 20-year gap, if you think about it. We had like 20 other centre-forwards, but we haven't really seen anything much like him. And nowadays, Mikhail Tadze, who's got like that, instinct of a natural number nine and he's, he's not like he's not the tallest he's not the strongest he hasn't got that hmm. he's, he's, he isn't the quickest as well but he has got that nifty little thing about him which makes him so superior to other Georgian forwards and I do believe that in, in a correct environment um, especially if you play for Ajax yeah that's that's a that's 
historically a very good team for young players. Yeah. Um, he'll he'll definitely make that move, and the price tag they paid for him, which is sixteen million plus three with add-ons, Ajax don't really pay that those kind of money for yeah. for random players. Mm. So you 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 think they have big plans on him, and and maybe that will, and I I do believe that will be real reality in two or three years time when he's going to be one of the better centre forwards. At least around Europe, um, and yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty positive about him. Not not because I'm biased, just because from what I've seen about uh, from what I've seen of him, and mm-hmm. he yeah. proved it in in every single team he played for. He went to Belgium a few times, scored like 32 goals in 32 appearances. Um, last season he had like great season with uh, Metz in league league two in the second division. Also, got fair few goals. He became a top scorer, I think, of the second division. So. Yeah, he, he has got quality and potential and then uh all depends on the kind of the circumstances around him and the environment he's in, which I'd say as I said before, is is great. If you're if you're if you're a youngster and play for Ajax, what more can you ask for? <laughs> I I think it is the best place you could end up at, really. <laughs> I think it's like if if you could choose, right. you would choose there, right? So I think but this was kind of leads neatly onto my onto my question, really, because we all know Quadraskelia. But who are the other players that you think people should be keeping an eye out for and should be excited about? Yeah, well, as you guys covered Italian football, I think Saba Sazonov, the guy who signed for uh, Torino mm-hmm. this yeah a week ago, yeah, two weeks ago, he's he's definitely one of the players who I do believe that Georgia will build their defense from, um, uh, because he's got like. As a player, one thing he definitely lacks is ball playing abilities. But apart from that, he's a just a no-nonsense defender, tall, strong, quite quick for a guy. Who's, I think he's like six two, six three. I think um, great tackling, great awareness. And in the under twenty-one tournament that was held in in Georgia and Romania, he showed that he could be a, a top top defender, especially for a side like us. Uh, Mamadashvili, a goalkeeper, plays for Valencia. That also speaks for something. Um, I think he'd, he'd definitely be he's probably a top five goalkeeper in Spain now. Mm-hmm. But I think he should be even better in two or three years' times. He has got a lot of things to learn. But as with every single young player, he's like twenty three. So what can you expect? Uh, David Tashvili, who's a border, he's, he's, he's a rather inconsistent player. Um, he's a right winger, but I think he also could make that next jump. He was linked to move to Udinese last year, but that didn't really. Um, Pan out and is now a Bordeaux in, in France. Uh, a few players play for Shakhtar Donetsk. They will be playing uh, the Champions League nice. football this season. Left back, Ivakli uh, Azarovi and Gocholishvili on the right. So, obviously, kind of positive about them. And yeah, one of the guys who was a surprise uh, is Fernando, who signed for Frosinone yes. in, in Serie A. He's, he's, he's a, um, hasn't really played all that much in Georgia as well. Um, which had his reasons, both objective and subjective, I'd say, because the coach he was uh, the coach he was under was a fraud. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was definitely a fraud. But um, yeah, he, he has goals, but still kind of raw. I think it's it's a bit early for him to be in the Serie A now, and if he gets a loan move to somewhat decent Serie B side, he'll probably benefit from from it than just staying with Frosinone and being on the bench. Uh, and yeah, that's that's probably one of you guys. We have got, we have also got like a few players in Serie B, two centre backs, nice. one place for Premonese and for Spezia. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, two guys with decent potential, and 
from I'd say as I said before, like we're still a young team. We need a few more years mm-hmm. to get ourselves together and then build like a unit uh, which will be that team which will compete for a direct place uh, in the groups st- uh, in the, in the group stages from the qualifiers. So yeah, those are those are probably the main takeaways of one to watch us from Georgia and maybe in, in next summer if we talk again on the on the pod there will still be a few more young players who will make a mark for Georgian football. Fingers fingers crossed. I did scout the I kind of did a bit of like scouting before for the yeah. guy who went to Frosinone before the season and I was a little bit confused as to why they'd bought him because there there weren't many numbers. I couldn't really see much about him. Yeah. But it's good to hear that he's got the kind of raw ingredients mm-hmm. so maybe he just needs polishing a little bit. Yeah, yeah, true, because he's still like 20. Uh, he's like kind of tall, quick, technically kind of nice, but still hasn't got that decision-making mm-hmm. in him, um, which is not a surprise coming from a relative lower quality football mm-hmm. like in Georgia. So, yeah, as I said, like uh, a loan move. He's, he's on loan at Frosinone yeah. now, and he's got like a one-year loan with three-year buy option or something like that. So if um, they decide to uh, to buy him out, from Georgia and he gets some kind of playtime in the Serie B maybe yeah. I think he will be making some 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 deep some I don't know like I don't know which team to be fair because I don't really follow Serie B as much as Serie A obviously but if there's a team that will give him at least 60 70 minutes per game uh, I think it should be should be all set for great things and nice. yeah we'll see we'll definitely see very good. Well, before I let you go, Luca, I'm just going to put you on the spot a little bit and say, do you still think, will we see Georgia at the Euro 2024? What do you think? Uh, Yeah, from the playoffs, though. Okay. From the Nations League. Well, think... Well, the shirt you wear, we could face Kazakhstan in the semifinals. Oh, you did, you recognise uh, the shirt, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, could, we could face Kazakhstan in the semifinals. Um... At home, it will mm-hmm. probably be held at the Team Arena because we had the best record in the C, C division, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. C League. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably the easiest way to get there, but we still have teams to be in. Kazakhstan are flying high this season in the qualifiers. Uh, obviously, that group is a bit more easier, but still, they've been Denmark, which is a huge achievement. Northern Ireland is never an easy team to play against, and um, yeah, I think that they're, they're, they're also on a, on, on a quite kind of rise if that makes sense mm-hmm. because we, we we never really expected with all due respect obviously to Kazakhstan we never, I don't think I don't think they expected it honestly I really don't think they expected it yeah 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 uh, but, um, yeah man that's that's probably uh, I, I do believe in, in qualifying but obviously from the Nations League path which should be a bit more easy and will be a bit more easier than just facing Scotland, Spain yeah. and Norway. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Well, Luca, yeah, thank you for joining us. That was fantastic. For our viewers and listeners, if they want to find you, where can they find your work? Where can they follow you? Uh, on Twitter, at Georgian Footy, or X, I call it Twitter. I don't believe in <laughs> Old school Twitter. We'll stick Twitter. with Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Georgian footy and that's probably the only way of people kind of getting around Georgian football yeah beautiful well when Georgia make it we will have you back on the show to talk all things Euro 2024 we'll have you back yeah, on definitely. anyway but hopefully yeah with you celebrating yeah. qualification um thanks for coming on mate that was fantastic cheers thank guys. you guys what a guy beautiful. absolutely loved it unbelievable 
I feel like we now have a few more players that we can keep an eye out for, which is nice. I I didn't want to just talk about Quadrad Skellia, right? Yeah, I did want to just introduce it anyway, because I feel like he is kind of a big thing. He's a big deal, um, Mm -hmm. and it's understandable. Of course. It's great to hear that there's more than just Quadrad Skellia. I think there's... uh, a lot more to come out of Georgian football, that's for sure. And uh, it just feels like it's just a kind of like a hot pot. It's ready to come out and spread mm-hmm. out its wings a bit more. So given the goalkeeper is doing quite well at Valencia, well, who knows what, what we could see in the next 12 to 24 months. I, I, I've got good feelings about Georgia. As I always say, when I'm building a team on Football Manager, the first thing I do is get a decent goalkeeper. It's the most important thing, <laughs> get a decent goalkeeper. Well, guys... We're going to move on with the rest of the show now. We're going to thank Luca again. That was genuinely, genuinely fascinating. Really, really great to have him on. And we're going to go and switch to the Anglo-Italian. We're going to live up to our title. And we're going to start off with, should we start with Anglo or Italian, Adam? What do we think? Let's start off with Anglo. Let's start off with the Anglo. I spent a long time defending Gareth Southgate and saying how good a job (laughs) he'd done. And then he does that to me. He does that to me, makes those substitutions and picks that team. And all of a sudden, I remembered why I was, why why there are question marks. Now, the the first question marks are, I believe, um, James Madison being forced out onto the left um, rather than playing him centrally then playing Jordan Henderson in midfield, but putting Jude Bellingham out of position in order to accommodate Jordan Mm -hmm. Henderson. Um, It feels like Gareth Southgate is trying to pander to the pick-on-form crowd and trying to stick to what he wants to do and kind of getting caught between two stools because he's kind of, okay, I'll play Bellingham. I have to play Bellingham at all costs. But what I'll actually do is make him play worse so that I can play my favorite. It feels like, what did you make of it? It just seemed so confused. Hello? Um, I believe Adam has disappeared. Hopefully he will be back soon. I'm here to hold the fort while um, he hopefully rejoins us. Um, What am I going to talk about? He was talking about Jordan Henderson slowing down the game. I think... Look, we we talked previously in our last podcast about what we thought about Jordan Henderson being selected. Um, and I want to kind of remove that from the analysis here and actually talk about just his performance as a player on the pitch. And I feel like it kind of confirmed and um, showed us, oh, is Adam back? It showed us why Liverpool had got rid of him. Um, sorry, Adam, I was just... Picking up where you left off, saying Jordan Henderson slowed down the game. I think that confirmed to us why Liverpool got rid of him, right? Yeah, I, I felt so. Um, it was really just a strange kind of pattern of game. He didn't seem to really understand where his placement was within that squad as well. Like on Saturday, normally he knows he's got to do a defensive duty. This time round, he, he seems really complex and didn't know what he was supposed to do when he received the ball at times. And... It, I think if I was Harry Kane, I was really frustrated as well. There's times where I could see he was asking for the wingers to be on the sides and he was Mm. having to do a lot more creative work, which, you know, I think he's almost got accustomed to the way maybe Bayern Munich work. That's that's what it seemed like. He he was used to not having the ball so much and he was relying on getting the service to him. So, yeah, there was a lot of question marks. And then you're thinking, well, 
what did Gareth Southgate do in terms of intel about this Ukrainian side? What what did he think Sergei Rebrov was going to set out against them? And we know there's going to be an emotional side of it for Ukraine. Obviously, they've got quite a lot of Ukrainians in Wrocław for this game. They mm-hmm. made an atmosphere, fair play to them. But this is the thing. When Ukraine did like kind of get to the final third, they kind of relied on the likes of Mudrik to take the ball on. Other than that, they were lost with ideas. And I'll tell you the other bit that was really frustrating about watching England was how poor they were from set pieces. Their mm-hmm. set pieces was absolutely horrendous. So I don't know what on earth happened there. I feel like that was a bit of a strength from England in the early Southgate days. I seem to remember we scored against Sweden from corners. I feel like we used to get quite a few goals from set pieces. Um, Yeah, I feel like there was a lot just very disappointing about the performance. It's strange because with qualification, England usually do breeze through it. And we are still breezing through it. It's just one kind of disappointing result, I suppose. But it was just, it was a result that was... Um, symptomatic of problems that we've talked about with with Southgate before, right? Um, like you said, the team selection, odd substitutions, strange systems. Um, and yeah, it was not impressive, unfortunately. I feel like even taking, like obviously I'm always going to say it, but taking Saka off I felt was a strange uh, strange decision considering he's one of the, the big like chance creators and goal scorers within this team. Um But for Ukraine, we do need to say they are showing a real level of quality, defensive solidity. I think what they we do have to give them credit as well. This wasn't just England being slightly inept. It was Ukraine defending incredibly well, making it very difficult for England. Um, And then being clinical when they do get the attacks. Like, this is a team that could cause anyone problems, right? Yeah, definitely. I felt when they had the ball they seemed the more likely to uh, do a lot more damage with it. And Mm. certainly you saw that through the goal itself. I mean, they seemed in that opening 20 minutes anyway, the more likely to score. It did Mm -hmm. seem like that. Despite the possession that England did have, I felt like Ukrainians did seem like they saw the opportunity. They knew there was a weakness. And I think potentially if you look at how Maguire played against them, that was a warning sign in itself. I mean, that kind of, shows to Southgate that maybe he's got to think or rethink whether, you know, Harry Maguire should be in that starting lineup because there was times where I was feeling nervous for the guy. Like he mm-hmm. was struggling and I, I don't know against a high opposition if he's going to be, you know, as solid as he has been in the past. So um but yeah, fair play to the Ukrainians. I thought they played really well defensively. And if it wasn't for that slip by Mikolenko Maybe we're talking about a 1-0 win for Ukraine. Yeah. I feel like Everton fans will resonate with that. If it wasn't yeah. for that from Mikolenko. Yeah, uh, no, I think, but I was really impressed with Zabanyi. I really like him as a defender. I think he's very, very good. Um, I was really impressed with him. And of course, Zinchenko getting the goal. I know for some reason, there's a big crowd online that really don't like Alexander Sinchenko. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. I know I'm biased because he's an Arsenal player, but I absolutely love everything about him. His energy, his celebration was fantastic. I think he's a real unicorn of a player as well. The profile mm. and what he's able to do. Like, he plays defensive midfield in within Ukraine. Obviously, Arsenal, he does that left-back defensive yeah. midfield thing but he could play attacking midfield he could play left wing he could play anywhere I feel like he really is a very individual type player and it was great to see him get a goal he doesn't score many so I was yeah. happy for him um but 
if we're done with England, I think we're kind of yeah, done with England. It leads us on quite neatly to Italian and to the Italy um, yeah. situation. They, of course, face off tomorrow night um, or tonight, if you're listening on Tuesday. I am going to be in the stadium. I got myself a ticket. Um, well, actually, I got me and the girlfriend a ticket. It's going to be her first trip to San Siro. Um it was sixteen euros fifty a ticket. Wow! I saw the prices. I was like, right. Well, I, I was actually listening to the Totally Football Show, and they were talking about it, and it was like it's in Milan. I was like, it is in Milan. Why aren't I going? I was like, all right, I'll check. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sixteen fifty. Why aren't I bloody going? Yeah. So we're going to be in the stadium. Um, before we talk about that game, we need to talk about the previous game where. <laughs> I actually kind of got it right, I think. I said the only way Italy don't win this is in their own heads. And lo and behold, <laughs> they got in their own heads surprise, and they didn't surprise. win the game. Adam, what did you make of this performance um, in general before we kind of talk about individual players? So I think, uh, you know, you, you seem to have saw a lot more of the game than I did. So I'll give you credit. But I think when I looked at the highlights... I didn't know if I was re- like watching a like kind of short in the highlights clip because I was trying to find extended clips and I couldn't see much of an Italian performance. Yeah. They struggled like hell against a Northern Macedonian side who probably weren't that amazing, but they did kind of offer a bit more of an attacking analysis about them. And I think that's a worrying sign. Um, obviously, there was a lot of players that were on their off game um, I think, you know, there was only Barilla that came out of this with any kind of shouts yeah. of being, you know, he deserved his kind of pay on the day, should we say. But Donnarumma, again, kind of being beaten very easily. Um, defensively, a bit shoddy, it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. But even attacking-wise, I think there's so many question marks. Obviously, there's the national debate, which is, is Chiro Immobile still a striker for well, the Italian national squad? <laughs> And then the options that Spalletti had brought on and whether he also chose, for example, the likes of Politano, Zaccagni, going very AWOL, shall we say. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was your kind of takes on the evening? It was just a classic, absolutely classic Italy. Struggle to score a goal. Mm. They score a goal and then do sod all after that. And it was just so obvious from the second Immobile scored, I was like, right, Italy are just going to try and shut the door now and they're going to concede in the last 10 minutes. That's exactly what happened and it was just so blatantly obvious. I feel like, thankfully, Spalletti isn't getting too much stick here because people know he's had four days with the team and the the problems run much deeper than him. Um, I think the team was too slow. We have to say off the bat as well, the pitch, did not help. Like I know, it's, mm. like you can't make mistake like excuses, but here's an excuse: that pitch was an absolute <laughs> disgrace. Like I think I tweeted halfway through the game, Barella managing to make this pitch look like a carpet is a miracle. Like because every time they tried to pass the ball, it would bobble, it would slow down. It was just obviously not there for Italy's game, mm. right? Which is what Macedonia were doing. That's fine. That's part of playing yeah, yeah. international football away. They make it difficult for you, right? But the pitch was a disgrace. But what Italy should have done is adapt to that. And they should have learned from that yeah. and got around it. They didn't. They were still trying to play intricate passes. It was too slow. All of it was just mm. too slow. No one seemed to want to pass forwards. Um and it seemed like they all they always got to like the, the beginning of the final third and then just passed it back and then passed it back. And it's mm. kind of like 
when <laughs> it's like the arch of doom was what Arsenal fans <laughs> called it when Arteta first came in, where you just yeah. pass it from wing back to wing back, basically. So it's like that Simpsons clip, basically, where they hit it to yeah. each other, right? Exactly <laughs> with the Mexican guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, passes it back, passes it back. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty brutal watching, and I think. It was just so frustrating, so frustrating. And then I think players like, as you said, Zakani, Politano just weren't able to, they weren't able to affect the game at all. The substitutions I feel like were slight, were made slightly too late. They were odd substitutions. I think Raspadori could have had much more time on the pitch. Um, Nyonto, when he came on, I thought looked pretty lively, actually ran at defenders. He just, he needs to improve his final product, Nyonto. Like, mm-hmm. and it's what we've always said, super yeah. exciting player, just needs that final product, that decision-making yeah. of like, is it a cross? Is it a shot? Which one do you want? Who are you aiming for? Rather than just going that general direction. So I think he was quite promising, but just needs a little bit of polishing. The player that came on who I was impressed with, though, was Scalvini. He came on, obviously, because Mancini yeah. was injured, has now gone home, as, um, as far as I'm aware. He's left the Italy camp. Um, and I thought Scalvini came in and did really, really well. Um, he was one of the few players to have a shot. Um, <laughs> there was a few moments when Macedonia were attacking where he made key tackles, was following his yeah, man. He's good. He's super exciting defender, Scalvini, but I thought he mm. really handled it very well. But we need to talk about Donnarumma. Now, I was, again, talking uh, to my girlfriend about the fact that you can go back like 60 years in Italy's history and you can do four goalkeepers, right? It's like Buffon, uh, Buffon, Peruzzi, um, and then Zoff, basically, right? And it's like all of the goalkeepers, right? And it it kind of feels like everybody thought Donnarumma was the next one, right? Or Donnarumma would be the goalkeeper for 20 years. Job done. We don't need to look for another goalkeeper now. Um, And I feel like with him being at fault in the last game against Macedonia as well, there are questions to be, to be asked and they are being asked. Um, I think the move to PSG for him was a bad move anyway. Yeah, I think massively. he, he should have stayed at Milan, although Milan mm-hmm. fans are delighted he's left now because yeah, they've got Mayan, but I think he should have stayed at Milan. I think he could have gone, he should have gone to a more competitive league where he's going to be tested a bit more somewhere where there's a definite philosophy that's going to be built for years. Cause it feels like he, I remember him being a lot better with his feet than he was than he is now. Yeah, it feels like yeah. he's kind of lost that a little bit, and he's lost a bit of concentration. Mm. That free kick it was a great free kick, but it looks like it goes through his hands. Yes, um, yeah. and really with Italy, as is always the case, they've always got great goalkeepers, and thankfully they've got someone on the bench. They've got well, two players yeah. on the bench, Providel and Vicario, who were both kind of waiting to take his place. Do you think? the Spalletti will be brave enough and be like, no, you know what, Vicario gets the shout because we've seen him fantastic at Empoli, fantastic at Spurs, or do you think it will be Providel who's been incredible for Lazio for the past two seasons? Or if I'm not mistaken, is Merit still part of the squad? Merit uh, is in there, I think. So I again, from a Napoli point of view, he knows what he's getting with Merit as well. Mm-hmm, um, true. So yeah, I, I've got a funny feeling he will stick with Donnarumma just because otherwise... You drop him, confidence drops. Yeah. But there has to be some changes. The other one that I was going to call out, Rory, before you mentioned Donnarumma was Cristante and whether he actually has a role within this team because I get he's a defensive midfielder and he's probably one of the very few that Italy actually have mm-hmm. because 
t- toenails or tonali as I've been called <laughs> now, uh, didn't really do too much in this particular no. match. Um, Fratesi, I thought, might have stood a shout to maybe come on, but again, a bit more energy in the midfield, maybe exactly. if Fratesi comes someone, on. You just yeah. need someone a bit more livelier than Cristante, and Cristante came in for some abuse, but. On the goalkeeping front, if it was me, I would probably drop him and go for Vicario personally. Yeah. Because I just think on form, and he feels like he's a bit more comfortable. If there is something called upon, then you feel a bit more like safe with him. But then mm-hmm. Donnarumma, he, he kind of, again, he, it's one of those difficult decisions. I think there's a lot of question marks across the team in the first eleven. I mean, I would change that defensive lineup for straight away. You know, I wouldn't have, for example, Beragi in that squad. I would have no. who we spoke about, which was a dodgy. Dodgy should be in that yeah. squad, and he would have been at least an attacking outlet for the Italian squad. So, um, but yeah, Spalletti, I, I think, has got to ring the changes ahead of the game against Ukraine. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's going to be another tournament potentially without Italy in it. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be a nervous night tomorrow night. It's going to be a very very nervous yeah, night, and I think yeah. the last time, sorry, Italy fans, but the last time I watched Italy was the Sweden game, which was uh, Buffon's final game for yes. Italy, where they where they drew nil nil and didn't go out, uh, didn't go to the World Cup. So hopefully, I bring a, bring them a bit better look this time. But I expect it to be very very nervous, and I think <laughs> Ukraine are going to attack a hell of a lot more than Macedonia did. Oh, like Macedonia. Ukraine are going to absolutely go for it. I think. Um, or absolutely go for it. They'll go for it like they did against England. I just think they're more threatening on the break than Macedonia are. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to cause Italy more problems. With Chris Dante, I'm going to fight his corner a little bit because I do like him as a player. I think he was the player most affected by the pitch, if I'm being very generous. Um, but he is very slow. And okay. when in an already slow team, he looks extra slow. Mm. If you know what I mean? I think yeah, yeah. the midfield just needed that bit more energy. The whole thing needed more energy, to be honest. Um, but if I know it, the Italy team, they are going to shit their pants the second they don't score within the first 10 minutes and the crowd's yeah. going to get nervous. So it'll be an interesting one. I will try to update things on the Insta and stuff. I might put some videos up. I'm not making promises, but I'll put some things up um, from inside the stadium. Um I'm pretty excited, though. I'm pretty excited. Hopefully, mm. Italy can get the job done. If they don't, they still have the playoffs um, to fall back on due to finishing the final four in the Nations League. But as we've just been talking about for the past 10 minutes, Italy are not good at playoffs. So I think everybody wants to avoid it like the plague. Um, I think we're going to leave Italy and England yes. there for now because I'm very aware of time. And we're going to go to depression corner now both me and adam um we sat and watched our respective teams last night so i watched ireland adam watched poland um adam i'm gonna let you go first because i think yours is slightly worse than mine um, (laughs) if we're comparing grief adam take us through what happened with poland and what is the latest in the santos era um Kurva match is probably the uh, analogy <laughs> I would use for this. I remember um, that from my time in yeah, Poland. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners might be used to that terminology. Um, yeah, a very frustrating night in Tirana. Um, I spoke to you previous or well, prior to the game kicking off, should I say, about the atmosphere. And mm. 
Yeah, the Albanian fans made sure everyone could hear them. To the point of two minutes into the match, they threw flares behind Chesney's goal. It had to be delayed, as you would anticipate. Classic. And you had the uh, captain from Albania pleading with the fans not to throw any missiles onto the pitch. They did that repeatedly at the, the Poland players when they were taking corners. So I'm expecting some sort of sanctions at some point. But regardless of that, um, Poland didn't start off necessarily badly. Um they had chances, they looked the most threatening. And I thought to myself, within 20 minutes, actually, do you know what? I think we can sneak away with a result here. And it was on the 40th minute, Kivor latches on to a free kick in the box, scores. Um, but as the Poles were celebrating, the referee gets a call from VAR and VAR judges that Kivor has kind of run a little bit earlier ahead of his defenders and it's a judge to be offside and then literally a few minutes later there Rory um yeah we got stuck by a sucker punch by Asani there's a hell of a goal goal from this hell of a goal incredible goal um and you know it was very much against the run of play at this point so Poland go into halftime 1-0 down, knowing second half they've got to go out there trying to create opportunities. They did the exact opposite, failed to do anything, and I was cursing when I saw Krihoviak have our first real shot on goal. And I said to Rory, at this moment, you know it's going to be a bad night when Krihoviak is the only one that's got a shot on target. And lo and behold, a second goal, uh, Viteski, who... Uh, replace the donkey that is called Jan Bednarek um, <laughs> gets turned very easily by Maku who then basically puts it at a really strange angle but he puts it in the roof of net Chesney can't do anything about it and it's 2-0 sucker punch we're all in shock I think we're all gobsmacked by this and at that kind of last 15 minute phase Santos decides to bring on the substitutions and you're thinking, what what is this guy been thinking about for mm. the last kind of half an hour? Like we saw no imagination. We saw no kind of direct play. It reminded me of Portugal and I can understand why they got frustrated with Santos and I can't believe they stuck with Santos for so many years as well. Um, so the only credit that he had was that he managed to win them a Euros. That was the only yeah. reason why he was in that role. And yeah, I mean the after effects are we're definitely not going to qualify. I wouldn't want Poland to be at the tournament because if that's what we were going to show, that was fucking embarrassing, to be brutally honest. Santos, after the uh, match, says he's not going to resign and said basically if the Polish FA feel differently, then they'd have to have a conversation with him. And today it's reported in the press that um, Poland are going to do amicable terms with uh, Santos and it's expected that tomorrow or today if you're listening to the pod that we might see the end of Santos at Poland but I had to remind Rory and people on Twitter that follow me we pay this guy 2.5 million a season he's one of the most expensive coaches in Europe and he earns that and I kind of put used the analogy of this is equivalent of getting Everton relegated and then being approached by a Saudi Arabian club to manage them basically because I don't get what he does but I, I'm kind of glad that we're not going to be embarrassing at a tournament again, Rory, because I don't want to go through what I experienced at the World Cup because that was just pure embarrassment, mate. And um, I thought yeah, it, was was, it was bad. Eh? It was bad. Was it bad. was bad. But Santos has brought us to new levels of depths of despair. And I, I just, 
I, I, I do question why I even support the Polish national team. If only Mitrovic wasn't in a job. If only he wasn't <laughs> in a job, you could you could abseil him in. Um, you we could have him had Harvard Renard. It. We could have had Marcelo Bielsa. They were all wanting the role, which is baffling to me. But I would have gone, yes, please take it. Please give just Bielsa do it. whatever he wants. Just give him exactly. whatever he wants. You want let him have want, as many buckets you want an entire city is yours. <laughs> like, just, yeah. Give him what he wants. Just yeah. if he wants to come to this climate, I don't care. Like let him just. He it, clearly what it was was that time of with Leeds where he had Mateusz Klick. That must have been the yeah. player that he's like. I love Poland because of Mateusz Klick. That's all it is. That's it's got to be that. Cool. But, Absolutely. Yeah, fact, I, honestly, I, I was sat watching Bielsa because I'm obsessed with Bielsa. And obviously <laughs> his um, Chile team, uh, no, his Uruguay team Uruguay got their first team. win uh, yeah. in his first game, 3-1 against his old team, Chile. And I was watching him celebrate the goals, sat on his little bucket or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, Leeds fans must just be crying. They must just like, <laughs> yeah. just tears rolling down their face. I think mean, there's so many people looking at Bielsa and going, why didn't we just get Bielsa? He's just, he's incredible. He's incredible. But I'm sorry that wasn't to be, I want to live in the alternative timeline where Bielsa is in charge of Poland. Because I think <laughs> that would, that be, would be epic. It would be unbelievable. The entertainment value would be through the roof. And it's such an idiosyncratic job that he would love it. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it would just be him all over. Um, but I'm going to let you kind of put that behind you now with Poland. Thank, um, you. Thank you. And we're going to talk a little bit more depression with Ireland um a slightly more i'm going to try and be positive but it's yeah, difficult i'll be positives. honest let's um firstly the punditry on rt is an absolute <laughs> disgrace i really did not enjoy it all uh, richie sadler and diddy harman in particular were just zero insight just moaning just nothing but moaning mm. um the other guy whose name i've forgotten i mean uh, keith andrews it came to me keith andrews ah, um okay, was a fantastic legends. pundit really <laughs> trying his hardest in trying circumstances to pick apart a performance um it started so well it started so well ireland had this really aggressive press they did not let the netherlands settle they get the penalty within the first they could have scored within the first minute adam ida just a little bit too slow on the ball, couldn't turn and get his shot off. From that chance, we get a corner, Van Dyke handball, he sticks it away, sticks the penalty away, and it's 1-0 up. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. We continued the same way in the first 20 minutes, just pressing Netherlands relentlessly. Mm. And then one mistake in midfield, a missed tackle. The Netherlands are through. Bazunu's caught in no man's land, takes Gakpo down, penalty. And then straight away, Netherlands back into the game. Really frustrating. Um, I think Italy, Ireland even had been the much, much better team. They were showing real, like they always show aggression and hunger and effort, but it was like dynamic forward passes and triangles and counterattacks. And it was like a concerted effort. The wing backs, like Doherty was mm. having a banger. And you're like, oh, this is, Ogbeni was like tearing Ake to pieces. And you're like, this is incredible. This is what we want to see but we just couldn't keep it up. We just couldn't keep it up. Once Netherlands got back into the game, Ireland tried to get going again, but the Netherlands then, it kind of looked, the win kind of looked inevitable at that point. You just knew that their experience was going to get them through it. Um, but we managed to keep it one all until halftime. So you think, okay, let's kind of, let's try and build on this. Komen makes a change and goes from three at the back to four at the back. So going a bit more attacking, um, and Stephen Kenny just doesn't respond. They bring on Vout Veghorst and Ireland are kind of 
caught between trying to figure out what's going on. In within that time, Vekov scores. It's scored in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And then once that happens, again, Ireland didn't respond. Again, I think Stephen Kenny's in-game management was just a bit late. I feel like he was mm. just overthinking. It was just, when you saw him on the line, it was just a man panicking. <laughs> like he yeah, was just yeah. sweating and thinking, what do I do? Because he knows that this is probably his job. Like this yeah. is his job now. And like, I don't think it should be, but it looks like this is going to be his job. Um, but I think if we stick to the game, he brought on McGrath and Sinclair, uh, Sinclair Armstrong, but he brought them on far too late. I think he was meant to bring them on earlier and then Ireland started to build a bit of pressure. And I think he went, oh, let's just let this. And I get it. He kind of went, okay, well, oh no, we're doing something here. I mm-hmm. don't want to ruin it. Yeah. But then by the time that had finished, it was the 87th minute and you're bringing on how old is Sinclair Armstrong? 19? 19, 18? Think, yeah. Like bringing him on for his senior debut to rescue a game, which is not looking it's like it's going to be rescued. Lost. And what was really frustrating as well, and again, it was just kind of... The, the pundits, they just kept going, oh, just just stick Duffy in the box and just spam <laughs> balls into the box. It's like, cre- really? Is this what we're resorting to already? But yeah. without wanting to to agree with them too much... You do have to get the ball in the box at some point. You You do do have to, like, there was about five minutes where it was Ogbene, um, and I can't remember, but there was three players basically just cycling it between them on the Mm. wing. Like Ebersele when he came on, who looked lively, but again, just just passing it between them. Like, guys, one of you is going to have to take responsibility and put put it in the box. And it got to the point where Adamida was just busy looking for the ball because it wasn't coming to him. So he was out on the left wing, out on the right wing, just trying to get involved. And it just seemed like a team panicking as well and Mm. just not having that clear idea and not having that someone to take responsibility and be like, right, here we go. Um, But without dwelling on the negatives too much, a lot of players did impress me. Ogbene, I absolutely love. Jason Knight, he got man of the match. He's such a good player. He's so exciting. I thought the midfield of him and Brown were really, really good throughout the game. Brown had to come on because he was just, he'd done 90 minutes against France as well, I think, and they were both just done. Um, But Brown was really, really good as well. Knight was fantastic. Um, Bazunu made some great saves, got really close on the penalty as well. Really got his hand to it. He was so unlucky. Um, So I think there are still seeds of promise there. They're just not getting the results. And like, I don't know. I'll get your opinion on this, but Diddy mm. Harmon, in all his wisdom, said that it was worse for us to be losing by one goal than getting battered. Now, I think it's positive that we only lose 2-1 to, to Netherlands because yes. you're in the game. Like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Netherlands went home and they, they, know, they knew they were in a game last night and they knew that they got lucky last night. Like, they, a draw would have been more than a fair result. Like, how do you feel about... Do you think it's better to lose by one or lose by six? What do we think? It sounds like Didi Harman's been getting advice from Gabby Ekbonlaho on how <laughs> yeah. to be controversial again. Yeah. Like, um, I don't, I don't get that analogy. I don't get like, yes, lose five one or five nil if you feel you're going to get more learning curves from it. But actually, this sounded like when you were first like messaging me on like WhatsApp yesterday it sounded like it was quite promising for the Irish, mm-hmm. like at the very beginning of the match. And it, it was something I was going to ask you, and I think we should bring it up, is that gamesmanship. It was that gamesmanship yeah. and experience, mm-hmm. which I feel like Holland or Netherlands really like drew upon. And I we were just messaging about the fact that Wout Verkos wasn't on the pitch and how he'd be useful. 
lo and behold, he comes on and obviously yeah. scores. But I, I back to the point, Didi Hamman, no idea what he means by that. I mean, no. I, I don't know what he meant by anything, honestly. would have wanted him to have lost 5-0 rather than just yeah. by the one goal. Um, no, but by which, at which point they definitely wouldn't have been criticizing Stephen Kenny if Ireland had lost five 0 exactly, right? right? They definitely would have gone. Well, that's a learning curve. If you know I mean, it's just such absolute tripe. He also <laughs> judged Stephen Kenny for Ireland not being Saudi Arabia and Ireland not beating Argentina like Saudi Arabia did. It was such weird analysis, honestly. It was a bit mind boggling I was confused as to why he was in the studio, to be honest. He kept saying we for Ireland. He's not Irish, is he? I'm going to have to double check. Um, but he I kept think saying it we like for they were Ireland. On mushrooms or something like that before they went live. Really <laughs> odd. Honestly, it was really odd. Um, but yeah, Stephen Kenny, I really hope, I really hope they stick with him because I saw the list of managers that are now linked to the job and it is the most uninspiring list of managers I've ever seen. Roy Keane, um, uh, Mick McCarthy is on there. I think Frank <laughs> Lampard was on there. And imagine Ireland. The, the, I mean, the country of Ireland. If a Tory like Frank Lampard <laughs> was appointed in charge of Ireland, I think that I think it would be a United Ireland sooner than thought. Um, but yeah, some of the names were so so depressing. Um, so I really hope Stephen Kenny at least gets to the end of this qualification window. The the issue he made for himself, and we were talking about it offline, was that this is the qualification period where he kind of. He said, when he got the job, this is the one that we're looking for. This is the one that we're targeting. Mm. And it just hasn't gone well. I think, like we said last episode, the Greece game was just massive. It's a last-minute yeah. winner, and it just changes everything. Um, because Ireland could finish this qualification period with two wins against Gibraltar. Like, it's just mm, simply it's not, not great, good enough. So I think... Yeah, questions to be asked. Hopefully they stick with him because I think Stephen Kenny's trying to do the right thing. He's trying yeah. to do the right thing. We're trying to play football. We're trying to... There's a really exciting group of young players from Ireland at the minute and I want mm. them to be taught how to play football. I don't yeah. want them to have to play kick and rush. And there was a great tweet. Um, oh, I can't remember it's by now, but it's a guy who said he's been following Ireland home and away for 50 years. And he said... Stephen Kenny, this is the best football he's seen Ireland play, and sacking him does not solve the problem. The problem is the FAI. Yeah. The problem is is the association. So sacking him achieves nothing. So I think, mm. look, none of this will be listened to, and he will be fired. But I really like Stephen Kenny, basically. But we're going to leave Ireland there. Um, hopefully, there's a positive international break in October. Hopefully, we can get a win against Greece in in Dublin just to kind of brighten things up a little bit, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, yeah. And we're going to go to the last story, I think. Um, I think the last story? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Germany. Can we all laugh at Germany? <clears throat> I don't usually <laughs> I don't usually sign up for the, you know, the England fans singing about hating Germany, even though the war was yeah. 80 years ago, etc. But it is always quite funny, the Germans doing badly. Um, they got battered 4-1 at home by Japan, mm-hmm. a massively somehow still underrated yeah. Japan team. Um, Ito, Itakura, Tomiyasu, Mitoma. They've got some bloody good players in that squad. Yeah. Look out for them at the next World Cup. It's going to be exciting. Um, but Germany were woeful. They lost 4-1. Um, some of the defending was What's non-existent. Um, and they've sacked Hansi Flick. He is gone. Um, your first reactions to this story? Germany have been bad for like three years now. This isn't like a one-off thing. Yeah, it escapes me how bad Germany were until we saw those clips and I, I couldn't 
really understands what Hansi Flick's done in that space of time. Mm. And then Archie Rintup then uh, tweeted out. I love that guy, by a, the way. He's so all good. or nothing documentary. And there's a clip that he basically takes a picture of, which is um, the psychologist at the World Cup is asked to like do a video for the national squad. And it is all about the geese. Geese come together. They work together, basically. And at the end of the video, supposedly, and I haven't seen this, but me and Roy are definitely going to be watching I'm going to watch it. added it on the watch list, which is um, we must think like geese, is what Hansi Flick tells the group of players. And they all look at him really baffled. A bit like (laughs) when Gareth uh, uh, Ainsworth introduced a hacker to the QPR players, basically. Um, yeah, basically similar vibes, but with these David things Brain in are the background. so weird because so I funny. think like these these stunts that managers do. Now it's interesting because all or nothing is the first. This Germany one is the first one where it kind of goes badly. Like I know Arsenal's yes. season yeah. didn't end well, but it, overall it was a positive season. I think this one is just an absolute car crash, and these things because Arteta like. Spurs fans, United fans love laughing at Arteta with his little light bulb and all that. And it is cringy because if you then go out and lose, like when Arteta played the Anfield music and then Arsenal get battered at Anfield, it just looks even stupider. So I kind of feel like Hansi Flick has been set up a little bit by the fact that his team have just gone out and got battered. Because if they beat Japan, maybe people look at it and go, oh, yeah. Thinking like geese, it worked. That's what we should have been doing the whole time. So I think there's a little bit of that. But yeah, it does look hilarious. The team is just really average. It's just really yeah, average. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the 11 and I was like, like Gnabry was world class yeah. for a bit, but hasn't been for a while. Kai Havertz as a striker doesn't work. Um, there's like, is there anything about that team where you're like, uh, I felt bad for Ter Stegen, but is there anything about yeah. this team where you were like, oh, there's a bit of promise? Because I couldn't see it. I think that's the real issue here is that there's nothing to grab yourself and kind of get excited about. And I think that's why even Germany as an FA are really contemplating, do they try and bring Jurgen Klopp into the fold? Because that, that, you need a big personality to like change things up, right? But the embarrassment is that they go into hosting the next Euros and potentially flop even worse than previous hosts here. And that that's the fear factor, that someone as advanced as the Germans and the way they think about stuff, it is just unbearable. And I think the only one that I thought of that is likely to take the position would be Nagelsmann, but it'd have to be on his terms. It would yeah. be a case of... That guy doesn't need another job at the minute. No, he might not need it, but then would he even entertain it is the other question. Would he entertain even being a national coach? Because I think he's perceived really badly down in Bavaria right now. I mean, probably no one really has bought into him as much. So I think he just needs a break somewhere in a different country potentially. But yeah, I think you're struggling for candidates thereafter. I can't think Rory, who naturally goes in and succeeds him. It's really I don't I don't know. I think even managers like Marco Rosa, who was like really exciting and people were really but stay where he is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like there's no real Liverpool must be sick to death of people trying to poach their they've had yeah. Saudi Arabia come in for Salah at the last minute and now Klopp has maybe his dream job knocking at the door, if you know what I mean. I think yeah, exactly. Liverpool fans are gonna be pretty scared. Look, Klopp isn't going to go there mid-season. No, he's not. There's no way he's not the type of guy to just leave 
up and leave. He's going to finish a season. He's going to kind of do it properly. But Germany, yeah, there's not many options. I think they kind of have to go for Nagelsmann because who else is there? And there's, there's like the under-21 manager and they're going to roll the dice and be like, right, let's just be bold. Um, you can get Klinsman back. I think South Korea are pretty yeah, close to got, sacking him. Uh, Rudy, you could get Rudy Voller's there in a interim basis. Wow. Could that be extended until the end of the Euros? I, I think he that was how Klinsman got the job, right? For 06. Yeah, was, was he not after. interim and then? He was yeah. there after, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Well, a mad stat. Absolutely mad stat. This is mm. the first time Germany have ever sacked a manager. Yes. Every other I manager that, has resigned. That is incredible. That is insane. It? It's almost I like they've got mind. this moral will of, I've got to go now. This yeah, is on yeah, my yeah. terms, basically. So, so baffling. But then, it's weird, you isn't can't it? blame it. They probably saw the documentary and, fucking hell, we screwed <laughs> up. We've got to sack this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw an interview with, yeah, maybe it was Archie Ryan Tuck, where he said that was that could have been the nail in the coffin, like where they saw that and they were like, okay, who is... Who is this guy? What's he talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, not good times for Germany. Well, they will be relieved to know that they are playing France tomorrow night or tonight, as you <laughs> see it. So that will be a nice, gentle... Um, oh, God, what are France going to do to him? What are France going to do to him? It's going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal. That's all I can say. Well, and for the German crowd to boo him off the pitch, that does not happen yeah. often. But the crowd turned quickly i felt honestly i just have to say it one more time i felt so bad for Ter Stegen because he was just stood there like oh yeah guys like just <laughs> one of you do your job like each time the one there was it the second goal where it was like the classic like fifa shithouse goal where you run <laughs> to the keeper then knock it to the other guy and he's just stood there like anybody is anybody gonna yeah, give me a hand like, no tracking back no yeah Ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I did quite enjoy seeing Germany lose. And Japan, what a team. Super exciting yeah. team. Super I cannot exciting. wait to see them at U- the World Cup in 2026. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be some team. if, As long as there's no injuries to any of those players that we've talked about, Ooh. this could yeah. be an exciting team. Exciting, any exciting. any Arsenal player, any Arsenal fans that have been doubting Tommy Asu and slagging him off, just watch that performance. We have got a hell yes. of a player there. He's 23 years old and he was unbelievable in that match. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely love the guy. But last, last, last story. We're going to stick with Germany and just laugh at them a little bit more. <laughs> Jurgen Klinsmann keeps getting jobs, and I'm confused as to how this happens. Now, yeah. there was a story where he set a South Korea game in. <laughs> Amer- no, where was it in America? It, no, it was closest to home, wasn't it? It was England, wasn't it? Because they played so that it against he could Wales. Yeah, so that he could then attend the Legends game, the Chelsea versus Bayern Munich Legends game. After, um, he also did team meetings on Zoom from his house in LA. That's where I was getting yep. confused. He was yep. doing his team meetings on Zoom. He's reportedly spent a matter of days in South Korea mm. or weeks since he's got since yep. he's got the job. Why does he keep getting jobs, Adam? He like the USA fucking hated him by the time he left. The Germans hated him by the time he left. Wow, why do people keep doing this? And the last role prior to that was her for Berlin, and they hated him even yeah. though they were going for a releg- relegation battle themselves. Um, <laughs> just get yeah. rid of this guy. Yeah, yeah. 
he he has this aura of arrogance which mm-hmm. seems to just piss off people the wrong way yeah. and he's got this persistence around him being based in LA he doesn't want to be anywhere closer to home or near enough to the environment where he's going to be expected to be I mean it's just baffling that he kind of thinks in that kind of philosophical way that do you know what I don't need to be there I don't need to be in that kind of position and I think that's been picked up a lot of times by the Koreans now they're kind of questioning whether the Korean FA got this point right clearly they got it wrong Um, and I think you can see by the performances they've not been great of late Um, if it wasn't for Son I think there's a real struggle for goals or any inspiration in that squad and even Klinsman in the last um, I think conference kind of alluded to it that he's grateful that he's got Son beside him because had he not, I think that team is a bit of a struggle right now. I mean, we did see signs of that at the last World Cup, right? But I think then there's... you bring bring Jurgen Klinsmann, who you know, I just I don't get how people are inspired by his tactics because he even in Germany, it wasn't him, it was Yoki Love, wasn't it? It yeah, wasn't yeah. his tactics. It was all about Yoki Love and I feel like he's a bit of a fraud. He just comes across as a fraud now. So, yeah, hopefully this is the last time we'll be talking about him, Rory. Yeah, I really, really do hope that this is him being found out. But I think there's like, there are players in that squad. Like, you've got Kim Min-Jae, for God's sake. You've got one of yeah. the best centre-backs in the world within that team. You've got Hun Min-Son. You've got Huang. Like, there's lots of players there, like, that are playing in decent leagues across Europe. Yeah. And even the the K-League the K itself is not a bad standard. Like, yeah, that is a very good team. And I think he's kind of wasting this generation of players or they're wasting that generation of players for the time being, as long as he's in charge. I think it's mm. he is he comes across, you're right, as incredibly arrogant and that he believes that because he was a half-decent striker that he could just do what he likes. And yeah. I'm Jürgen Klinsmann. Like, yeah, you can't touch me. me. So... Yeah. I think it's just it's super disrespectful to the country, to the people, to the players, everything. Like with international management, especially. Like I don't know if you're gonna take over a club and not give a shit. There's a, a list as long as your arm of mm. people who've done that. It feels a bit more vindictive when you're doing it against a country. Maybe that's just in my head, but it feels a little <laughs> bit more like oh fuck this guy's like yeah, exactly. this banana state. I'm just gonna rob all their money. Like I don't know. It feels a little bit more vindictive when you do that, but. Hopefully, he'll be sacked pretty soon. Um, they're playing Saudi Arabia soon uh, in Newcastle, I think. I think that's one of the oh, games wow, that's going to okay. be in Newcastle. Um, that video was enlightening. If you've not seen it, go to <laughs> NUFC again, um, yeah. against Sports Washing. Um, the video is so, so depressing. But before we go down that, we've not got time. Um, no. I think that is everything, Adam. I think I we've think covered it all. It for now. Yeah, for that now. For is... now that's, we've managed to pack a hell of a lot, Rory. I think we've done all right. I think yeah, we've done all right. Um, just to very quickly take you through the fixtures, the ones that are catching my eye now, we have Spain taking on Cyprus, Sweden against Austria, Italy against Ukraine, of course. Belgium against Estonia, if you're really bored, they are all being played <laughs> tonight or tomorrow night. That is the last. Oh, and Norway versus Georgia. I have to shout those out for Luca, right? Norway versus Georgia as well taking place. Yeah. Um, and those will be the last of the international games until October. Now, I love... I love mm international football but is there an international break every every month now because there's one in november as well i believe that's where they start to conclude it don't they i think they're starting to conclude the games soon i think for certain groups anyway so 
Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So we're nearly yes, there. It's going to come. We thick and are fast. nearly there. Well, we will be back with the show on Friday, as always, guys. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you enjoyed it, even if you didn't, hit the like and subscribe button there. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, on TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Um, Please do tell a friend, give us a rating, spread the word, do all those things. Get involved, leave comments. Um, We love to respond to you. We love your feedback. And we will see you on Friday. Anything to say, Adam? That's it. Thank you very much. And hopefully you've enjoyed us. Take care. Ciao, ciao. Bye, guys. Podcast Network.